Well, if you're just joining us and you haven't been here for the last three weeks, we are dead in the middle of a, of a series on five things that God uses to grow our faith. Uh, this is a series that in 2009 Andy Stanley did in his, at, at his church, and uh, we're adapting it to, for our use here. Uh, we're using his videos and those sorts of things in our small group Bible studies, discussion questions, those kinds of things. And, uh, and if you're not in a Bible study, I would encourage you, as I will later on in the message, to go online to our website, northhillsbaptist.net, click on the media tab, and uh, go to Second Look and, and watch this week's teaching that Andy Stanley does on, uh, on private disciplines. I'm going to just briefly touch on the passage that he uses and uh, then kind of go my own direction. So um, just, just wanted to make you aware of that. We're, we're, we're talking about five things that God uses to grow our faith. Five things that when people tell their faith stories, these five things kind of rise to the top and are a part of almost all of our faith stories when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ. The first thing that we talked about was practical teaching, practical biblical teaching, how God uses teaching from Scripture, uh, maybe from a pastor, from a radio station or something. Um, he uses that in our life to challenge us and to grow our faith. And then last week, we talked about providential relationships. We talked about how almost everyone would say that at some point in time in their life, somebody came along and, and spoke truth into their life. Maybe, it was, maybe they might say it like this, well, um, I was doing this and this and this, and then I met this girl. Or I was doing this and this, and then I met this guy. And, and they really turned my head and my direction towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe it was what seemed to be, to you, a random uh, meeting on a highway or helping someone. Um, but they used that. Or maybe they have used, God has used you as a, a, a providential relationship in somebody else's life. And we talked about how it's good to be aware of that so that we're willing and we're, we uh, are, are willing to give our time and that sort of thing to the Lord. Today we're going to talk about private disciplines. Um, things that we do actually in our life that, that increase our knowledge uh, about what God is teaching us and what He's trying to show us and then how we can then apply that to our lives. Um, the, the fourth thing is personal ministry. Uh, Pastor Ty is giving you an opportunity for some personal ministry already this morning up in Pine Ridge. You know, you go up there with a group of people and, uh, and you're serving someone else, but all the while you're serving someone else, God is using that in your own life to challenge you and increase your faith and your experience with Him. And then finally, uh, Pastor Adam is going to be looking at pivotal circumstances uh, in our life in a couple weeks. Pivotal circumstances. We all have them. Um, Families in our, in our county this week have, are experiencing pivotal circumstances. Circumstances that, that, that in many ways can completely change the trajectory of our life. And God uses those in our lives. And this morning we're going to be taking a look at private disciplines. Now discipline in our culture doesn't really get a fair shake. 
Uh, in fact, it's, it's most commonly viewed, I think, in, in the negative. Uh, when you think about, a, about discipline, you think of, of punishment or of correction. In, in fact, one of the uh, definitions found in the dictionary for discipline is punishment inflicted by a way of correction and training. Chastisement. There's nothing that seems positive about the word chastisement. And, and we can think of discipline in that way. But I want us to think about it in a more positive light. Um, another description in the dictionary for discipline is this. An activity or exercise or a regimen that develops or improves a skill. Training. That's discipline in a positive way. But you know where your mind goes. We, you know where, where my, my mind goes. We can always take something that seems like a positive and we can turn it into a negative, right? Um, the way Andy Stanley puts it in his messages, he, he says, we refer to these as supposed to's. These are things that we're supposed to do, right? And, and even though they might be good for us in the long run, in, in, at the beginning of it, it's difficult to do. Uh, an illustration of that, as I was thinking about this, in the old days, I mean, many, many years ago, so a lot of, some of you kids in here weren't even alive when this happened, but um, back in the old days, my parents had this cool station wagon. In fact, we owned multiple station wagons um, back in the 70s, right? Um, they were more commonly olive green color, right? Or they had wood on the side of them. Um, some of you may have one of those sitting in your garage today. We just don't know about it. Um, but the cool thing about riding with my parents in a station wagon is I got to jump in the very back. You know that back that looked kind of like the bed of a pickup, but it was covered? And play the entire trip. Well, then along came this idea that seat belts should be worn by everyone, Right? And, and it was actually good for us to wear them, that it was more safe. If you're in a, in a car accident, um, your, your odds of survival are a lot greater if you wear a seatbelt or not. Okay, so, so here's this thing that we're supposed to do. And a lot of people, they, they just arch their back and say, I ain't going to do it. But, but in this process, um, I began to, even though it wasn't comfortable at first, I began to wear my seatbelt. And, and sometimes, it, it, of course, you know, you'd get in and you'd be 50 miles down the road and it's like, oh, yeah, I've got to put my seatbelt on. Okay, now, when I get into a vehicle, if I get in my car here at the church and I'm driving home, which is only a few blocks away, and I don't put my seatbelt on, I am nervous. I'm just going a few blocks, right? But, but it's become such a habit and such a positive thing in my life that I just do it. I don't even question it. I get in, it's the first thing I do, or it's the second thing. Start the car, put the seatbelt on, and then turn to the passengers, or, you know, last night uh, we were coming home from something and it was a mile down the road, turned and said, you got your seatbelt on. No, okay, put it on. Okay, it, it, it's become a habit, and a good one. Uh, another illustration that came to my mind uh, in, as I think about discipline and how it starts out as something that you're supposed to do um, but ends up turning into something that actually, in this case, is, was a joy, was a, a joy for someone. I remember back to how my mother played the piano. Uh, my mother was an amazing pianist and organist. She, she loved, I mean, absolutely loved to play the piano. Um, I, I liked playing my, my instrument when she was playing the piano. I mean, she accompanied all kinds of things. The school, etc. She loved playing the piano. But it wasn't like that when she learned to play the piano. 
You see, when she learned to play the piano, it was something that her mother told her she was supposed to do. And, and I remember, Mom, I, don't, I only remember these by the stories because she was always, always had a smile on her face when she was playing the piano. But when she learned to play the piano, it was, it was down in Texas. Uh, my grandparents had a dry cleaning business. Of all businesses to have in Texas, why would you go into dry cleaning, right? It's, if it's not hot enough outside, um, you're going to work in the heat too. They, they, their business was a two-story building and they lived upstairs and the dry cleaning shop was in the base, or in, on the main floor. And my grandmother made, emphasis on made, my mother practiced the piano two hours a day. Two hours a day. You kids that complain that your parents make you practice for 30 minutes or an hour, I don't want to hear it. Two hours a day. And, and my mother tells the story, those weren't happy hours. They were not fun. It was not a joy to play the piano two hours a day. And, and she couldn't, you know, just sort of lie about it either because Grandma and Grandpa were working in the, on the main floor, right? They could hear whether Mother was playing the piano or not, so she could tell. And I'm sure that after a period of time, playing the piano went from something that she had to do and that she was supposed to do and that she really wasn't that good at to something that she got kind of, kind of good at. And, and, then, and then she got really good at it. And then it got to the point where she didn't even need music. She was at a, Nash, she was at a state FFA convention and one of the officers in his closing um, speech wanted to sing a song. And she's like, well, what song is it? And he said this. And she said, well, do you have the music? And he's like, no, I didn't bring the music with me. And so she says this to him. We'll hum a few bars. And he did, and she picked it up, and she accompanied him in front of hundreds of people at the piano with no music. And it was something that she enjoyed, but it didn't start out that way. And that's the way these disciplines are. That's the way spiritual disciplines often are. We kind of start out with the supposed to and have to, and, and, and it takes discipline, right, to, to have a discipline. <laughs> and then God does amazing things through it. Um, a, 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 let me give you a working definition of discipline. It's in your notes. Um, it's this. A spiritual discipline is a spiritual activity or exercise that we do, that God uses to grow us towards maturity in Christ. Now, I know I said a couple uh, messages ago that this isn't a list of things or these aren't check marks for each of these five things that you can check off. However, this one today, um, there is... There has to be intentionality and a decision that we make ourselves whether we're, going to, um, whether we're going to exercise discipline in doing a certain spiritual discipline. We make that decision. Um, and so there is a part of us that, that has to be intentional about it, but God is the one who uses it in our lives. He's the one that empowers that and, and makes the change in our life as we obey Him in doing what it is He's called us to do. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 says this, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. In, there's incredible hope in, in, in this godliness that, that becomes a part of our life. And it has incredible value for all things, and a spiritual activity or exercise that, that we engage in, God uses those to grow us in maturity and in godliness. All right, a few months ago, we did a series entitled Soul Conditioning. 
And, and we're going to briefly touch a couple disciplines this morning. If you want some more in-depth teaching on spiritual disciplines, you can go again to the website and you can go to the media and listen online and you can scroll back and you can find the Soul Conditioning series and you can watch those messages. We covered Bible application, prayer, fasting, solitude, and we also uh, covered service, which includes lots of different forms, one of which we're going to be talking about next week. And again, I want to encourage you, um, I'm going to touch on the, the passage that Andy Stanley teaches on for our Bible studies this week, but if you're not in a Bible study, go online and watch this teaching that he does on Matthew chapter 6. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 and let's, uh, let's look at this passage really quick. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. If you didn't bring a Bible, grab one from underneath the seat in front of you, and it's page 960 in those Bibles underneath the seats. Matthew chapter 6. Verses 1 through 6. This is Jesus talking. The red letters in many of your in many of your translations. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness. And I think Jesus is talking about private disciplines. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus says these are private things that we do. That, that they're personal. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't ever do them in a group or in a corporate setting. But, but what it does mean is that there needs to be times when we do these things just ourselves. Just us. Us and God. Okay, Jesus continues on in verse 2. So when you give to the needy, discipline number one. So the first discipline Jesus mentions here is giving. Giving is a spiritual discipline. And here, in this particular um, context, he's talking about almsgiving. He's talking about giving money, almsgiving. Now, um, this is not a tithe that Jesus is talking about. The Bible talks about when we give to the church, when we give to the temple for the Israelites early on in the Old Testament, we're to give 10%. Give 10% to the temple so that the temple can function and meet the needs of the, of the priests, etc., etc., etc. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. In fact, um, in, in Israel at this time, there were many Israelites that gave 10 to 18% of their income to the temple already. And Jesus is saying, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the extra that you give on top of that. The almsgiving. And uh, maybe a, a movie comes to mind where where you hear somebody yelling, alms for the poor, alms for the poor, or you've watched a movie where there's a certain time of the day where they, the poor know that they can come out at this particular time and that the people that are going to be giving to the poor, you know, maybe there'll be trumpets blown, maybe there's a bell that's rung or something, and the people come out, and, uh, and the richer folk in that community um, help provide for their needs with food or money or that sort of thing. Jesus says right here um, that... that that he's talking about giving to the needy, and he goes on, um, and he says, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. What is their reward that they're receiving by doing this in a public way when the the trumpets are, are blown and everybody comes out? They're essentially receiving a pat on the back. Oh, look at so-and-so. They're helping the needy or they're giving this amount to so-and-so. And it's, it's, it's very much a public thing. But Jesus says, 
Going on in verse 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Just do it in such secrecy. He overemphasizes the point that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Do it in a very quiet way. Then, Jesus says, your Father who sees what is done in secret will what? He will reward you. Now, when we say it like that in our culture, in our society, we begin thinking, okay, so if I want something from God, then I need to do something. Okay? That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying you need to do this this way so that I will reward you. What he's saying is you need to do this this way. And when you do, you're going to receive a reward from the Lord. And, and I think that's different. And I think we also get it in our heads. In the line of giving, for instance, that if, if I'm giving sacrificially to the Lord because He commanded it, I'm, I'm following that discipline of tithing or whatever it may be, offerings, then, then if I'm doing that faithfully, then in some way, shape, or form, He is going to reward me monetarily because that's what I'm giving. Or we think that if, if I'm... If I'm faithful in, in practicing the discipline of prayer and, and I do it over and over and over again and I'm faithful about that, then whatever I ask for, God is just going to give it to me because of my faithfulness to do that. And, and I think that's wrong thinking. I don't, I don't think we go there. That's, that's manipulative. We, we do this because God says to do it. And oh, by the way, God is a good God who loves to give gifts to His children. And He is going to bless you. And He's going to reward you. Um, but I don't think we can say it's going to be this. It could be a multiple things. I think one of the greatest things that we could be rewarded with in our relationship with Jesus Christ and with, with the Father is with greater faith. With greater faith. Um, I know that He has blessed me in that way for sure. And then uh, He goes on in verse 5, Jesus does, and when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. They're getting the pats on the back. They're getting the human honor. And that's actually what they're seeking by doing it in that public way. And Jesus is saying, they're getting it. But that's all they're going to get. I tell you the truth. But when you pray, verse 6, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, if you want to, take, if you want to argue about the word reward or anything like that, you, it's not me that you need to write letters to or send emails to. It's Jesus, because Jesus is the one that is saying this. And I believe that His word is true. Again, um, get on NorthHillsBaptist.net and, and follow Andy Stanley's teaching on this passage. For the remainder of the message, though, I want to look at the private discipline surrounding the Bible. Surrounding the Bible. And I know we talked about this as well in the Soul Conditioning series, but again, I want to remind us, this is the foundation. This is where we start. God has revealed Himself to us. He, he, has, he has inspired authors to write down uh, things about Him, who He is, how He's operated in history, how He's worked in people's lives. 
um, what, what He wants us to do, the, the goals and aspirations that we should have. It's, it's all in, in His Word right here. It is the foundation. It's our source. It's our source of truth about God Himself. And Paul says to Timothy and us in 2 Timothy three fourteen through 17 but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have been convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What you have learned, Timothy, from infancy, he says. You, you, you think it's important that we have kids' zone volunteers and people that work with our children downstairs and, and parents who work with their young children even as they're infants? Exposing them to the Word of God and stories from the Word of God and truth from the Word of God? It was true for Timothy. Paul says to him, you know this is to be true. And, and, and when you do, as you have known these Scriptures, these Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Oh, and, and oh, by the way, Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We're trained in righteousness. We're equipped for good works. We find peace and comfort. We're corrected. We're encouraged. And as, we, and as our trust level in our Heavenly Father grows, and, and as our knowledge of Him and how He operates in life grows, our faith grows as well. Our faith, in fact, in the midst of all situations. Because even though we can't say this is why this happened or this confuses me, I don't understand it, we can go to God's Word and we can see that He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can know. We can know that He's there and that He has not forsaken us. So Timothy studied the Scriptures and he worked hard at number three in your notes this morning. He worked hard at Bible study. Those young Jewish kids, they worked very hard at knowing their Bibles. It's important for us to know the Bible. Uh, on my way to Cheyenne last week to, uh, to bring home the, the bus from Crossroads Covenant Church, um, I saw a billboard south of Cheyenne and I wished I had taken a picture of it. But I didn't. And so I went hunting online to see if I could find an image of this billboard. And it was about the Bible. And, and as I was looking for it, I saw a few other billboards. And this one here actually came up. Um, and this billboard was all over the United States. People paid lots and lots of money to put this billboard up. Well, you notice the dates come and gone, right? May 21st, 2011, Judgment Day. Um, um, cry mightily unto the Lord. Oh, and, and then there's this gold seal up here, right? That says the Bible guarantees it. Well, there's a problem, right? We're still here. And, and that was supposed to be the, the end of all of life as we know it here. Um, Judgment Day, Howard Camping and his whole, his whole thing. Well, then I came across this billboard, which was a response to that one. That was awkward, right? 
Matthew 24, 36, no one knows the day or the hour. It's like if he had known his Bible and he had studied it, wouldn't he have come across this verse and known that I can't put a date on when Jesus is going to return? Because the Bible says no one knows. And as soon as someone, my dad used to say this, as soon as someone says it's going to happen on this day, you know it's not going to be that day. Well, the actual billboard that I was looking for was this one right here. And this is a bill, on a billboard south of Cheyenne. The Holy Bible, inspired absolute final. I love that because it's true. It's not coercive. It's not, you know, it's not funny. It's not cliche. It's true. The Holy Bible, inspired, absolute, and final. And we can know that to be the truth. So, one of the ways in which we get to know that we study the Bible is to read and meditate on it. Read and meditate. Seems basic. Yes, it is. But if there's anyone sitting here this morning and there's dust on the top of your Bible, I I want to encourage you to to dust it off and to begin, even at a basic level, reading it. Begin reading it. Um, it, It's been said that words are powerful things. Well, these words on these pages are incredibly powerful things. And they are truth. It is God's holy word. If you don't own a Bible, I would encourage you to to go get one. Uh, Buy one. Uh, If you can't afford to buy one, write it on your Connect card. Pastor Dave, I need a Bible. We'll buy you one. We'll get you a Bible. And maybe you've been confused by... You went to the Christian bookstore and you're, you go in there to buy a Bible and there's like 17 different ones. And you're like, well, I thought there was only one Bible. Well, there is only one Bible. It's just 17 different translations of that one Bible. And if you have a question about what a good translation might be, again, give me a call. Uh, have a conversation with any of us pastors and we would love to, to steer you in, in the direction of a good, uh, a good English translation. Read and meditate. And what I mean by meditate is think about it. I don't mean that in some sort of mystical way. I just mean think about it. Think about it during the day. Um, take time each day to think about what you read. Let it soak into your life. We, we let all kinds of other things soak in and permeate our life. Well, what if we were to, to think about a, a parable or a story of, uh, from the Bible that we read that morning throughout the course of the day? Um, if I have it somewhere, I have a, well, there's a little book back here on the back table called Our Daily Bread. And, and in it is, oh, thank you. In each Our Daily Bread, there's three months worth. And, and there's a, a date of each day. So if I went to March 9th, which is today, I'll, it also helps you keep track of what day of the week it is. Oh, Sunday, March 9th, right? Um, it says, read Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 and 12 through 19. So you would open your Bible and you would read that. And then you would read um, what this particular author, this particular day, makes some, gives you some thoughts about that passage and, and sort of helps you direct it in a direction so that it applies to your life. And, and they more often than not tell some sort of little short story or something that you also remember and helps you 
think about that in, in regards to your own life for that particular day. If, if you have never been able to read your Bible regularly, pick one of these up and, and set aside some time during a day. Maybe it's in the morning when you're having your cup of coffee before you head to work. Uh, maybe you get up 10 minutes earlier in the day. Uh, maybe, maybe you're an evening person or a night person and, and before you go to bed, you can shut the TV off and shut the radio off and grab this out and, and spend some time reading the Word of the Lord. But we need some help in becoming disciplined at doing this discipline of reading our Bibles, and that's one way that, that you could sure do it. The second way that we can study our Bible is, is kind of redundant, but study the Bible is number two. Or it's the second bullet point in your notes. Study the Bible. It's one thing to read it. Uh, it's another thing to read it and, and think about what you read. It's another thing to really kind of dig in and, and try to figure some other things out. You know, maybe you read a passage and you look over in the, the, the middle of your Bible or on the edge and there are these little tiny letters and they take you to other verses and you can go explore those and see where else in the Bible it talks about the thing that you're reading about that particular morning. Or you can, you'll see that, that some of them have a... You look at the bottom of the page and it says, well, this is a quote from you know Micah. Micah 6.8 or something like that. And then you can go back to the Old Testament and you can actually see in context where it is to, to go in a little bit deeper and to study the Bible. Here's, let me just give you a couple things that I use to study the Bible. Um, Bible BibleGateway.com is a place where you can go online um, and look at any, well, most of the English translations and, and a lot of other language translations if you you know, you wanted to read it in Korean or something, you could just click on that and there it would. There would be the, the Bible in Korean. Um, so BibleGateway.com is, is one place that you can go. Uh, the place that I go more often now than I do Bible Gateway is called BibleStudyTools.com. Very simple website, BibleStudyTools.com. And, uh, you know, the, the Bible that we use here, the translation that we use here on Sunday mornings is the NIV. And it's the 1984 NIV. Since then, they've retranslated, the, the, the translators of the NIV have come out with the new NIV. Okay? And, it, and almost every online website you go to, it's the new NIV now. So if you have an NIV and it doesn't match what I read here on Sunday mornings, it's because you have the newer version of it. Well, I'm, I like the old version. And that's what all of our Bibles here are in, in the sanctuary. They're the old version. BibleStudyTools.com has the old version. I don't know why they still have it. From what I read and actually emailed somebody at Bible Gateway, they said that Zondervan made them not put it up there anymore. So I'm hoping that they just don't know about Bible studies. I, I don't know what, what the deal is, but it's there. Um, you can do word searches and all, all those kinds of things. There are commentaries. There's Bible dictionaries at your fingertips at some of these um, Bible study tools places online. One other website that I would give you uh, for more in-depth Bible study is called studylight.org. Studylight.org. And if you want to look up a passage and then you want to break it down into the Greek or the Hebrew and you want to actually look at a word and see what its original um, definition was or description, um, that website will help you with that. And uh, it, it's, it's, a good, it's a good tool. Because if you don't actually know Greek or Hebrew or you don't know how to use one of the books, like a lexicon, um, this is a very simple way to do that.
In talking about the truth of God's Word, the author of Hebrews says it this way. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 through 14, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And I think in our Bible study, as we grow just in our knowledge of, of what's there, um, we begin to mature, as the, the writer of Hebrews is saying here. Um, and notice a couple important words there. Constant use, trained themselves, and in that process we are then able to distinguish good from evil and we, we grow towards maturity as followers of Jesus Christ. And then the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God that we read and that we meditate and that we study and He will use it in our lives. The third way we can exercise this spiritual discipline in our lives is to memorize it. Just simply to memorize it. And I, I like to think about this in the same way that your, your children study for an exam. You know, um, my children would often say, pray for me as, or I would, I would do this when I, was in, when I was in college. I would pray that the Lord would give me the answers to the test. Have you ever done that? Oh, Lord, you know, you know I didn't study. I just want you to give me the answers to the test. Um, that's not the way that I pray for my children. Um, I pray for my children when it comes to a test or an exam that the Lord would help them to think clearly and to remember the things that, in which they have already studied. Um, and, and it's exactly the same way with, with memorizing Scripture. God could just give you miraculously, supernaturally, a passage out of the middle of thin air. Um, he could do that. But more commonly, um, He will help you remember things that you already know and take you to places that you've already studied and memorized. And it's good for us to have that at our fingertips when we're having conversations with others. Um, and coming from someone who is terrible at memorizing anything, except phone numbers for some strange reason. I remember phone numbers really well, but um, when it comes to passages and you know where they're found and those sorts of things... I can, if I, I, if I studied a lot and I know it, I can get into that general area and then it's, it's easy for me to find. And so we need to memorize. We need to memorize Scripture. And again, um, let's not try to pin God down on what that reward is that Jesus mentions in Matthew chapter 6 or any other passage, but let's look expectantly for Him to, to, uh, to grow our faith and to increase our knowledge of Him. Uh, I think a supernatural contentment with God our Father is a pretty incredible reward um, and worth it. Turn to Psalm chapter 19 with me, if you would. Man, where has the time gone? Psalm chapter 19. It's page 541 in the uh, Bibles under the seats. If you don't know where Psalm, Psalms are? Up page 541, Psalm 19. And I want us to... I will read it. I want you to think about it as, as I do. And just let this passage speak to you this morning here as we close for the in remainder of the service. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. 
They don't actually speak. Nature doesn't speak. But nature speaks amazing things to us as we look at it, doesn't it? As you put, put yourself in, in places, as you think about these things that he's mentioning here, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the works of his hands. Uh, my daughter's home from visiting from Minnesota this last few days, five days, and um, last night we got home and it was dark and we got out of the car and she looked up in the sky and there were all the stars up there and she said, wow, do I miss that. I don't get to see that in the cities. There's too many lights. Can't see the stars. But the stars proclaim God's amazing work of His hands. He spoke them into existence. My brother took a picture of the Rocky Mountains with snow on them out the west side of his house this week and put it on Facebook. And he just said, look at this amazing thing. What an amazing gift from God. Look at this snow. Look at the beauty. As we think about things like that, as you think of in your own life, observations of beauty in nature. God created it. And it's to His glory that that nature speaks. Their voice goes out into the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, He has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from His pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run His course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Think about those mornings where you've seen the sun rise. Maybe it was a, an extraordinarily cold morning this winter and you were up and, and you saw the sun come up and it was just orange and, and beautiful. It's almost like God had it hidden in a tent through the night and then, it, then through its rays it, it flings open the flaps of the, the pavilion and it comes out and it goes across the sky. What a great God we have. Like a champion running to His course. Nothing is hidden from its heat. And you, you know that even on a cold day, even on a sub-zero day, when that sunshine hits you, there's heat. There's warmth. It's amazing. What amazing creation. What a, a huge, powerful God we have. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. David starts talking about the Word of God and, and rules and laws. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. We, we are made wise as we understand them, as we know them, and as we learn them. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. There is joy to be found in, in God's Word speaking into our lives. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. We can see directions in which we are to go or to not go as we expose ourselves to the Word of God and the teaching. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. All things that come from God's Word all ordinances, all commands, all precepts, all statutes are trustworthy and righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. Who of us wouldn't want to have a brick of gold in our hand or in our glove box, but we have something in our hands here today that's even more precious than that. 
God's Word. They, these words of His, it says, are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb, which is kind of in our context. We buy honey from the grocery store. You can walk down the street and get it. In this culture, in this context, honey was, it was a delicacy. They didn't get it very often, and when they tasted it, oh, it was so sweet. That's the way God's Word is. By them, these words, is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. All of these words, these commands, these precepts, these statutes, may they, as I am disciplined to, to put them into my lives and as the Holy Spirit empowers them in my life, may they keep me from making willful sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. As we study, read, and meditate on God's word, it infuses our life and then it becomes such a part of us that it becomes to flow out of us as we live our life on a daily basis and we turn to it in time of tragedy, in time of celebration, and God rewards us. He rewards us. Let's pray. Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your amazing, amazing gift that we hold in our hands here this morning. And Father, thank You that that You are a loving Father and a caring Father who who shows us how to live our life. And Lord, I pray that as we maybe search some of these other disciplines or maybe maybe it's just reading our Bibles, maybe that is the one thing, Lord, You want us to begin doing. Help us. Help us, Father, to, to, to fight the spiritual battle that occurs when we choose to do what's right and what's good. Lord, give us the strength. Teach us. Help us to obey. Help us to recognize that that your, your statutes, your precepts are. They're as glorious as your creation. And now, Lord, with this final song, we want to worship you, raise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.